What's up, the Line Church? Welcome to our online library. We hope this message blesses you and causes a shift inside of you. Be blessed and stay tuned. Amen and amen. Glory to Jesus. Hey, uh, if you've been around or if you saw the post, whatever, you know that we are starting a new series today called uh, Elephant Room. Amen. I love this series so much. Um, let me give you a backstory. Uh, because normally, I, I honestly do not... I, I don't remember the last time I preached a series, at like, two, like two series in the first half of the year, right? After my opening series in January slash February, I don't do any series until like later in the year, right? But I've been feeling like God has been directing my heart over the last couple of weeks towards this new series. Now, Elephant Room, what's the title from? What's the title from? Uh, there's a show that aired in the United States of America about 10, 12 years ago. And uh, it was pretty famous. It was a Christian show. It aired on TV. It was called uh, The Elephant Room. And this, this TV show, um, some of the biggest or most sought-after names in, in uh, relation to uh, uh, clergy, that's pastors and all that, they were gathered on this show. They gathered together on this show to defend what I what I call it. It's called what I call it is defending their theology, right? So every pastor would come and would talk about talk more about what they believe in, right? But the, I mean, I, I believe the main aim of the show was to find common grounds around these pastors because this at, at this point in time, America was Christianity in America was 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 having uh, was you know hitting the rocks real hard because we were facing so much crisis. And everybody was, you know, denominations started uh, spreading, spreading, sorry, and springing forth. And everybody was losing the center focus of their faith, being Jesus. And so this show brought everybody together to talk about the elephant in the room. Theology, what do you believe in, right? What are the things that, uh, that oppose your belief systems or whatever? And, uh, and so the show came, and the show ended, I don't know how many years ago. But I feel like God has been speaking to me about another show another elephant room but it's this show is one that we all know i mean the elephant room i described right now um you probably have never seen it before because i said it was like 10 12 years ago you probably probably never got to watch any episode from that series but this new elephant room i'm referring to i have a feeling that everybody here has watched that show now this is not a, of course this is not some show on african magic or some fancy tv uh station whatever this show is the one that we all get to watch because it's all in our minds. This show is a mental show. It's, it's one that affects our mentality. You know what I'm saying? It affects us from the inside out. Amen. Because everything that we do as human beings is a reflection of what we are as human beings. Oh, let me say this way. Everything we do as human beings is a reflection of what we believe in as human beings. Right? And so what we portray is what we first perceive. Does that make sense? What we portray is what we first perceive. What we first believe, what we first accept is what we behave as. My very good friend and mentor, Pastor Mike, would always say, if you believe, then you've got to behave. Right? Your behavior should complement with your belief systems. 
And so what you believe should complement what you should comp- should, should, comp- should be complemented by how you behave. Right? And I discovered that often I see so many of, so many Christians who are acting in certain ways, right? And of course we as people we point fingers and we judge people and all that. But really if you only get down to their belief systems, you would you'll be able to find uh 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 the root cause for whatever problems they have. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so the point of this series is finding the root cause for some of the unspoken problems that we all have to deal with every week. That's, that's, that's the purpose of this new series. It's us having to find the root cause for every uh, problem that we encounter as Christians in this world that we live in. Amen. And so um, I'm praying that God would give us exposure, give us light, give us courage, give us faith to encounter some of these things, to face them, and not only face them now, but to also fight and overcome some of the things that we struggle with in Jesus' name. All right. um, Before we uh, move further into this um, new series. I would love to share a quote with you. Um, the quote is a very important, it's a very uh, peculiar quote. I, I, I saw it this past week, um, and uh, I heard it this past week. I mean, and it's been a very, it's been a very intriguing and uh, mind-calling quote. It was from um, popular or famous, uh, now dead anyway, uh, Spanish uh, painter. Uh, he was actually French. He spent most of his life in France. His name was Pablo Picasso. Pablo Picasso. And this is the quote he said. Now you should write this down because this is where everything starts, right? Write this quote down. He says, Action is the foundational key for all success. I'll repeat that. Action is the foundational key for all success. Everybody say it after me. Say, Action is the foundational key for all success. Again, say, Action. Is the foundational key for all success. What does that mean? Now, listen. I mean, it's cool and it's cute if you come to the church with notepads. Like, please do. Because everything in this series are things I believe that God has deposited for right now. And you've got to go, you've, you've got to go back home with things to pray about and all that. But beyond just taking cute notes and all that in church, it, I want you to know that um, we all grew up with the knowledge that, uh, with this understanding, or something like that. Uh, you know, this famous motto, if you ever went to primary school here in Nigeria, is always, knowledge is power. But I beg to disagree. I don't believe knowledge is power. Oh my God, Pastor Man, what are you talking about? I don't believe knowledge is power. I believe knowledge applied gives power. It's one thing to know so much. It's another thing to do what you know. It's one thing to know so much. The people who know so much, but they are the most belligerent. Like, they're the most ignorant. They're the most dumb people ever. As, as a matter of fact, I discovered that these days, because we live in the woke generation, you know? A generation that's so alive. We believe we're so alive because we're inundated with so much, so much information. We have access to Google. Now we can Google stuff that our great-grandfathers would have to trek miles to go to the library to get. And they wouldn't even get all the information because at that time, the information were not that updated as they are right now. But they knew what to do with the knowledge they had. We don't. That's the problem we have. 
We have TikTok, we have Instagram, we have so much. We can know what's happening in someone's bedroom right now. We can know, we can know what's happening with Kim and Kanye right now. But as much as we know, we are the most backwards gener backward generations in how we think. We are not diplomatic anymore. We are no more action people. We are only know people. You know, know how, know how, know how. We want to know how, but we don't want to do. And so it is very important that every knowledge you hear in this series are not just things you put down on paper, but they are things you go back and work on. Because listen to this other one. The truth does not set you free. Knowing the truth does not set you free. It's how much of the truth you believe in. That's how much of the truth you apply. That's what sets you free. The truth does not set you free, right? Just simply knowing the truth does not set you free. It's how much of the truth you actually believe in so much that you would apply. That is what sets you free. Amen. And so I am imploring, I'm not even like preaching my, I've not even gotten to my sermon yet, but I'm, and I'm literally preaching right now. But I'm imploring that let's not just come here and uh, have a cool time taking notes and whatever. Then let's actually, yes, take notes and move forward to actually apply these principles that we will be getting in this series over the next couple of weeks. Because I believe one thing, right? I, 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 I'm, I'm not just praying that we will be able to relate to the sermons in this series. I mean, amen, I want you all to relate to it because you cannot relate, you cannot understand or apply what you can't understand. You can't apply what you, you can't understand, that you can't apply what you don't relate to. But I'm, beyond just relation, you know, relating to the sermons or the topics or whatever, I am praying that you will find what I call your God word. Amen. Because the God word is more important than any other thing. Even Paul said, it says the kingdom of God is not in the eloquence of words. It's not in my ability to come and speak good English or whatever or good grammar. No, 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 no. I am praying that you will find your God word. Because your God, God let's, this is what the God word is. The God word is what makes natural people do supernatural things. And they, they might just be plain English words. Just ordinary words is what you think you've heard. But if you just step out in faith and believe these words, remember what I said? Step out in faith and believe these words. I believe that you will get to experience the supernatural, even in the natural world. The God word is what Jesus spoke when he told Peter, come. Just that word, come. And the Bible says Peter walked on water. The God word is what, was what God told Moses, stretch forth your hand, stretch forth your staff across the ocean. And guess what happened? The ocean split into two. The God word is what makes natural things experience supernatural experience natural man sorry experience the supernatural realm amen and so i'm praying that you will find your god word for every storm i was it was because it was actually the same uh, 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 god word that jesus spoke over the seas in mark 4 when he stood up to the sea the sea, the sea was raging and all that and jesus said please be still that's all he needed that's all the sea needed to hear and I'm believing that you will find your God word in this series. That will talk, talk to every storm in your life and tell them, peace be still. In the name of Jesus. And so I just want you to key in strongly with all of your hearts into this series. Because I believe that God has something for you today. And even over the next couple of weeks, I believe that strongly. And you will find what you're looking for. In the name of Jesus. Alright, now are you ready for the word? Yeah. Now if you, if you have your Bibles with me, with you rather, join me in the book of John. John, John, John. John chapter 14, John chapter 14, uh, and in verse 
Let's start from verse 1. John 14. And we'll start from verse 1. I love this. I'm reading from the New King James translation today, not NIV. It says, uh, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me. You believe in God, sorry. Believe also in me. In my father's house or on many mansions, if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. And I'm guessing Thomas right now is getting a little bit, you know, concerned. Because he said, Lord, um, excuse me, uh, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? If you watch, like, in my own translation, um, the Passion in my own translation, Pet Bible, if you've never heard of it, it exists, it would have been, uh, Thomas would have said, um, Lord, kill and survive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, what are you saying? For those who don't know what you, that, that was in your bar. It means, what are you saying? We don't know where you're going. How do you expect us to even know the way? Like, I don't even know where you're going. Talk less of knowing the way, you know? And then Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is so crazy because, I mean, sorry. Jesus is so gangster because someone's like, what do you mean? And Jesus is so gangster because almost, I mean, 98% of the time when Jesus was asked a direct question, guess what? He never gave, he almost never gave a direct answer. Thomas is asking, how do we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Wow, Jesus. Wow. Man of words, right? <laughs> no one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, I'm guessing Philip now is like real straight up frustrated. And he said to him, and I'm guessing he's just, he had just given up at this point. Um, Lord, show us the Father. This is verse 8. And it is sufficient for us. A, version, a translation actually says, show us the Father and that would be enough. And then Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? Come on. Philip. Now, for the fact that there's a comma and then Philip's name came afterwards, you know, just, you know you're in trouble when someone called, like, he, I'm guessing he's looking at Philip's, like, Philip's eyeballs right now. You have not known me? Philip. Like, now Philip's like, Oh, Jesus, come on. Why are you playing me like this? Thomas asked the question, you didn't call his name like that. How come it's my turn and everything's going, going crazy? And then he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you are not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does this works. Does the works. Verse 11, believe, in, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than this he will do. Come on, say amen. amen. Because I go to my Father. Verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name. Come on, if you believe this word. Whatever you ask in my name. Amen. I will do. Amen. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Amen. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Wow, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I love that. I love that. Um, this um, blessed day, I want to start, I want to kick off this series by asking 
one interesting question. Um, and it's the question, why do we worry? Think about it. Why do we worry? Um, now, the question I just asked, everybody, if you were to answer this question, you would answer it based on where you are at the moment, right? What, what you're going through, what you're experiencing right now, your, your answer probably uh, would be based on that, right? Dif so different answers, I expect different answers from everybody based on different situations that we are all facing, because not everybody is facing the same thing. I mean, same thing. So you can be sitting right next to someone, but what you're, you guys are going through are so parallel to each other, and your answer can only be in Jesus. Amen. But as much as our situations may, or circumstances, may be different or may differ, I noticed one thing about worry, generally. Are you listening now? Because I want you to pay full attention. And this is one thing about worry, and it's that we worry the most about stuff we can't control. Have you, have you discovered that we worry the most about stuff we can't control? And, and, and I know this is so crazy, but worry for me is like my default mode every morning. Like every morning I wake up and the first thing I'm doing is I'm worried about, I just, my mind just looks for, for I, don't, I have like a Google agent in my mind, I just like a Google crawler or something like that. It's just crawling around looking for the, the, the least things to be like worried about. It is like I'm always looking for something to worry about. Even like right now, I'm worried a little bit that the cl it's cloudy outside and it might rain. Now, the only reason I'm worried is because I know I cannot control the rain. You feel me? If I could control the rain, I would tell the rain, hey, rain, uh, don't start. Don't, don't start. Uh, we have something we're going to do now. The only thing I can do now is pray about it. I know you praying about it is literally saying, God, I can't control this situation, but I'm putting it in the hands of the person who can. Right, but whatever you, you whatever you might do, God, because we also know that God doesn't always have to have, have to answer all our questions. He's not our servants; we serve Him. Sure. And so it's so crazy that uh, we worry about stuff we can't control. Like, I mean, you're so con you're so worried about people around you, about that person. But you know, the only reason you're so worried about them is because you can't control people. The only reason you're so worried about your friends is because you can't control them. I mean, if you could control them, that would be manipulating. You just, you, you make them do whatever you want them to do. If you have people around, around that in your life, that you do that too, know that you have a demonic spirit inside of you and you need to be delivered. If you have anybody that you just, you, you tell to do one thing and they do all the time, you gotta, you gotta pause sometimes and just slow down. I hope I'm not controlling or being manipulative here. Because the truth of the matter is, we can't control anybody. And that's why we are worried. We can't control the circumstances. COVID came in 2001, uh, was that? 2020? I can't remember. I feel like it was 10, 20 years ago. But COVID came in 2020, and we all were perplexed. Why? Because we couldn't control COVID. Pastors were going crazy. Everybody, was, everybody just wanted to say something. Pastors were giving prophecies that God didn't tell them. Why, was, why were they doing that? Because they couldn't control the circumstance. And so they were worried. You're worried now because of the position that you're in right now because you don't know what may or may not happen. And that's why you're worried because you, you don't have control over the circumstance. And so we are most worried about stuff we cannot control. Are you following me now? And, um, and I discovered that when we worry, because I discovered that worry doesn't just end at worry, 
it grows, and from worry, we become frustrated. And I, I don't know, have you been feeling frustrated of like, like things on people have been getting on your nerves so much, now you're so frustrated. But the truth of the matter is, you are not just frustrated because you are frustrated. If you look beneath every frustration, it's worry. You're only frustrated because you have been worrying so much constantly about the things you can't control. And so you've been worried and worried and worried and worried, and now you're frustrated. Now you're like, come on, come on, come on. And then, this is the crazy part. Frustration does not just end at frustration. Because if you examine it closely, frustration begats complaints. That's con- frustration gives birth to complaining. And the more you find yourself frustrated, the more you, st- you find yourself complaining about stuff. You start to complain about stuff around you. you know, uh, a gas station like two weeks ago, and, um, or a week ago, and I was at this gas station and I asked this lady, uh, you know, uh, I wanted to do a transaction. Okay, uh, we drew a thousand naira, but I want to. I only want petrol for five hundred because I need to pay for the uh, motorcycle I was on um, to t- take me back home. And um, I gave her my ATM card. I told her what I wanted, and then she was like, "Cause this, you know, this is our default complaint uh, ringtone." Oh, <laughs> like <laughs> that's our default complaint ringtone. Oh, oh. You know, that is. <laughs> and so this lady was like, "Oh." And then she, she just mumbled some things together. I'm not even sure what I, I heard. I, I heard what she said. But inside of me, this is what I said. Okay, am I supposed to apologize? Because I don't understand what's going on here. But then I, I wasn't even flustered in any way. Because I discovered that the only reason she was complaining was because she was frustrated. And what was she frustrated about? To be honest, I don't know. But the truth is, beneath her frustration was a worry. Because she was worried that she might blow the entire thing up and she might not be able to uh, properly, pro- properly uh, record her transactions that day because she was withdrawing over and setting less. And so there's a, it only requires like a professional that will be able to balance the records and all that. And so she was worried about all of these things because she could not really control the circumstances. And so she began to complain. Are you following now? And so frustration begats complaint. And if you come back, this brings me back to my text in John 14. You find the disciples in a very frustrated position. They're top-notch frustrated now. Why are they frustrated? Jesus is leaving. They've been with Jesus for about three and a half years now. They've they they, they dined with him. They've seen where he's lived with them. They've seen him do miracles. Matter of fact, he healed uh, the mother-in-law, Peter. And some scholars, some scholars say that's why he, he, Peter betrayed Jesus. Um, but <laughs> just kidding, because mother-in-law issues. Just, you probably won't understand. But anyway, uh, the disciples witnessed Jesus do so much, you know, in, in, just, in just three and a half years. And now Jesus breaks the bad news to them that, hey guys, I'm leaving. Are you following now? Now the disciples are now very worried. Here's why they are worried. They are worried because they can't really control the outcome. They can't stop Jesus from going to the cross. Because guess who? Someone tried. His name was Peter. He said, Jesus, if all of these people leave you, I will not leave you. And Jesus pulled him aside and said, guess what, Peter? Um, before the cock crows three times tomorrow morning, you would, would have denied me how many times? Three times. Now Peter now is just flustered. He's completely worried 
that Jesus has just said this and this is set in stone, I can't change it. And now the disciples are so worried that Jesus is, having, is leaving them and he has made so much promises. Now, so many promises. Now, that's not the only thing. They, they saw Jesus as the Savior and Redeemer, the King of Israel. But they saw it so literally. They thought Jesus would, have, would come and take the power of that's the kingdom from the hands of the Romans and take it back. And Israel, it would become Israel's king, physically or literally. But they forgot that Jesus' mission was not just to the Jews, but the Gentiles likewise. And so they were so worried, and their worry grew to the level of frustration. And before you know it, they started to complain. And why were they complaining? Now listen, why are you always complaining? Why do you have people complain around you all the time? With complaints, we only complain because we forget. Are you following them? Why do you complain? Why were the disciples complaining? They were complaining because they forgot. Forgot what, Pastor Emmanuel? I tell you. They forgot, number one, that the kingdom Jesus had come to establish was not a kingdom of this world. He had made it clear to them over and over again. The kingdom I have come to establish is not a kingdom of this world. It's a divine kingdom. That is what I have come to enact or establish on earth. Not one that is visible to the human eye. Physically, physical rather. He has come to establish a divine kingdom. And they forgot that. And so they were so frustrated that Jesus, how about the things you said you were going to do that you haven't done? And the same way we also complain about some of the stuff God has spoken about our lives or concerning us 10, 20 years ago that we haven't seen come to fruition. And so now we are complaining that God, you have forgotten your promise. But the only thing was that we forgot that God, God said it in his word. That every word he speaks, none will ever come back unfulfilled. No word he says, he says everything on earth may pass away. But his word will never fall to, his, to the ground. He said, he said he exalts his word more than his own name. Meaning God says, I can this is my word, I can bank on You can bank on this word. You can put 100 pounds on this word. Anything I say, I'm sorry, I'm copying Bonner Boy, Apostle Bonner Boy. Uh, anything I say, I stand on it. But that's what Jesus is saying. They, they, but they forgot. The disciples are not just, this is not the first time they're forgetting. This is not the first time they're forgetting. If you go back to Mark 4, the chapter I, I, I made reference to in my introduction. It says the disciples, Jesus told the disciples, hey guys, um, let's go over to the other side. And the disciples got in the boat with, along with Jesus and they started off. And the Bible says in the middle of the sea, they met with a storm. In the middle. Because the middle is where everything happens. The middle of a decision, the middle of a heartbreak, the middle, of e the middle is where everything happens. And so they met with a storm in the middle of the sea. And guess what happened? The storm was so fierce. The Bible says the water started entering into the boat. The disciples got scared that they were about to die. And then Peter, because he's the, he's the loudest, all right? He's the quickest. Peter has 1% tolerance. Like, I don't know if you know anybody who, who, if you know anybody who has 1% tolerance. The moment they just feel a little heat, they're already screaming all about, right? And this is the kind of person Peter was. So 1% tolerance, 1% heat, Peter got angry, ran to Jesus, because Jesus was sleeping this time around, which is very crazy. They were going through a storm and Jesus was sleeping. And probably Jesus, it's either Jesus had an overdose or Jesus had a point he wanted to prove. 
So they went, Peter woke Jesus up. Jesus, master, master, master. Guess what he said? Do you not care that we perish? Jesus probably looked him in the eye. Didn't say anything. Got up to the edge of the boat. Hey, said, hey, peace, be still. Bible says, all the storms still. Hush, Bible says. The transition says, just said, hush. I love that. Very romantic. So powerful. Hush. You know? And the storm stilled instantly. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, O ye men of little faith. Now I've always wondered, I have always, truth, truth, and this is the truth, I've always wondered why Jesus would say they had little faith. Because if I, if I were in there, if I were in their shoes, I'd probably have done the same thing. I mean, if I had Jesus, if I had Jesus' number, I'd be calling Jesus every two minutes. Like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I saw a cockroach in my room now. I saw a cockroach in my room. Jesus, did you hear that bird? That bird just fly across, flew across my room's window now. Hey, like, Jesus, did you hear that? I'm calling Jesus every two minutes. Jesus, um, I just spoke with a friend. I don't trust this person. Tell me, is this person lying? Because I don't trust people these days. I will call Jesus every two minutes. And so I understand the uh, emergency in Peter's voice that made him question or wake Jesus up. But so why then did Jesus um, say they had a little faith? Was it because they came to wake him up? Uh-uh, I don't believe that. I think it was what Peter said that made Jesus say he had a little faith. Because Peter came to complain that they were about to die. But the only reason he was complaining was because he forgot. Now listen, I said this, we complain because we forget. The only reason he was complaining was because he forgot. And what did he forget? The fact that Jesus would not have said, let us go over to the other side, if they would not have gotten to the other side. But we forget also and we complain. We complain about the stuff God has spoken about, ourselves, about us. We complain about stuff he has promised us because we have not seen the come to fruition. We complain and we, we tell God, God, I feel lonely, God, I feel alone. But God said that I am with you always, even until the end of the age, the end of the earth. I am always going to be with you. We forget. Because we have a little shortage and we're broken. We're seeing zero in our account, that big zero that's always staring back at you. And you're seeing that and you begin to complain. But you forget that Jesus said it through the Holy Spirit and through his servant Paul. In Philippians 4.19, you know the universe. The Lord shall provide, shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. It's in the Bible. We complain so much because we forget. And if you come back now, coming back to John 14, where we are, where we started this entire thing from, I see the disciples in this passage of scripture also complaining. Thomas is here complaining in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? We don't know where you are going, how can we know the way? Now, Verse 8, Philip now said to him, Lord, okay, you know what? Show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. It's okay. Now, in the entire chapter, we only have like three responses from Jesus' disciples. And I'm only focusing on these two. Now, something very interesting here. Peter said, 
Philip says, sorry, Lord, show us the Father. And that's okay for us. It's enough for us. Just show us the Father. Now Jesus says, verse 9, Have I been with you for so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Then Jesus asks the question after this, their belief systems. Because remember, I told you, I told you earlier, what we behave is based on what we believe. And so now Jesus starts to question their belief systems, especially Philip's, directly. Jesus starts to question Philip's belief systems. Why was Jesus doing this? Why was, why was Jesus questioning their belief systems? Because beneath every worry, now listen to this everybody, pay close attention now. Beneath every worry is this one word, doubt. Are you following now? Now we are tracing now. This is what I, this is what this series is all about. Tracing every disease to its root cause. Right? And we have looked at complaining. When you see someone complaining, you look down, you look beneath every complaint, it's frustration. Now if you look beneath every frustration, it's worry. But beneath every worry is doubt. And do you know what the doubt is? Going back to verse 4 says. Thomas, verse 5 rather, says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know. And how can we know? I don't think you caught that in that verse. Are you, are you seeing what I'm saying? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know. Then he said something after, and then he said, and how can we know? The real reason we doubt is because we don't know what we are doing. Are you following? We don't know where we are going. The real reason we doubt is because we don't know. That's the only reason you doubt. The only reason you doubt if you would ever do well is because you've never done this before. The only reason you doubt, I mean, you have never been in this position before. You've never seen today, 5th of, uh, 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 of June, or whatever today's date is. You've never seen today before. Not just that, you've never been in this position before. You've never been a mother to, to kids before. Now you are one. You've never lived this life before. Are, are you following me? You've never had to uh, 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 go through this kind of storm before. And so you feel a little bit outlandish. You feel this is strange. And so now you don't know. And that is why you have doubts. This person has never betrayed you before. And now you have doubts. You don't know whether they will or whether they won't. This business plan has never failed before, but you don't know if it will just start failing now. The real reason we doubt is because what? We don't know. That's the main reason we doubt, believe it or not. We doubt because we don't know. You don't know either. I don't know. I mean, I know that's like the craziest and the creepiest thing. Imagine every Sunday you come here and I tell you, um, Amen, hey, welcome to church. My name is Pastor Emmanuel. Hey, and I just want to tell you, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't think you'll come here next week. Because everybody wants to go with someone who knows the way. Because we know that we don't know the way. And that's the craziest thing. That was what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples. And that's the mind-blowing 
packed part of this sermon or the plot twist in this sermon because Jesus knew they didn't know. And so Jesus was saying, I know you don't know. And now before I, before I, before I, I let the cat out of the bag, let me say this. Now, P- Philip says, Lord, show the, father, show the Father, and that's enough for us. Now, Jesus felt a little bit insulted when Philip said that. Do you know why? Because Jesus was, tr- this, that was the exact same thing Jesus was trying to work in his disciples. Is, now, you probably would see that as a very harmless request from Philip, right? Just show us the Father and that would be enough. But Jesus saw another thing. Jesus saw that the faith, that is, the faith of his disciples had refused to grow. What do I mean? Jesus was trying to get his disciples from the level of baby faith, where they needed to see to believe, to a point where they would not need to see to believe. Like it says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so he was trying to work on, his, on the faith of his disciples, he was trying to lift the faith of his disciples up to a point where they didn't need to see God, to believe that God was standing right next to them. Is this making sense now? The real reason we don't know but the real reason we doubt, or we don't know better still, is because God is trying to get us to a higher position, point, and level in our faith. Are you following now? Like, like I told you earlier, we are in the woke generation, and everybody has become slave to the details. Knowing where, what, how, and when. Right? When, what, how, and when. When will God do this? How will God do this? When will God do it? And where will it start from? We have become become slaves to worrying. So much. I mean, the day God started to work on me, by the way, it was like an aggressive intervention. Not just calm one. An aggressive intervention was on our first anniversary last year. I I shared this that morning. Um, I remember because we're now, now we are nearing our second anniversary, thank, thanks be to Jesus. But I remember um, that morning, I, I barely, I, I think I had one hour, 13 minutes of sleep all day. I mean, to, building up to our anniversary day. Because apparently things, were, just, things just went out of my control. Lights got cut off and, and we had no electricity. We had generator issues. We couldn't power our generator. And we, everything, everything was happening wrong. Everything just went sideways. Um, my sister was supposed to sing the following morning, fell ill, and so now everybody got real cranky, and I began to complain. I was so mad at myself. I was so mad, like mad, 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 mad Max Fury. <laughs> That's what it was. Mad Max Fury wrote, like, it was so mad. And I remember, that night, sitting next to, sitting by my uh, dining table, put my head down. I played music by Carrie Joby. I believe it was a throne room. I just sat there. I didn't say a word because I didn't even know what to say. I mean, I'm, I'm well articulated. If I was going to talk to God, I knew what exactly what I would have said if this happened two days ago. But one night to our anniversary, nope, this is not happening. This is not going the way I planned. And I was so frustrated because I was so worried about the things I couldn't control. 
But beneath my worry was doubt. Because I doubted if God could still show up with all the mess that I've encountered. Are you following now? I wondered, because I had doubts in my heart, whether or not God would show up or if this was going to be a flop. And so my doubts gave birth to worry and my worry gave birth to frustration. And my frustration inevitably gave birth to me complaining. But in my moment of great surrender, because it was surrender, this was me telling God, I don't know. Because that's the thing. You don't know. That's why we have doubts, because we don't know. You don't know if you'll make it out of this storm. You don't know if you'll make it to the other side. You don't know if you're good enough or if you're doing well at all. You don't know. That's the thing. You don't know. You don't know how this will end. You don't know the escape route or escape methods. You don't know. And that's why you have doubts. But this is the thing. Jesus could have answered their questions directly, but he chose not to. Because in the absence of details, God waters, or through the absence of details, God waters the seed of our faith. Write that down. In case you haven't written down. In the absence of details, God waters the seed of our faith. Or better still, God uses the absence of details to water the seed of our faith. Because then, what God was trying to do with the disciples was so simple. It was just in this one sentence. Listen to this. He was trying to take the faith of his disciples, right, from a point or a place where their faith was hanging on their ability to know the details. Are you listening now? Because the real thing is, beneath every doubt is this word. Is, is this word or this sentence, whatever. Uncertainty. The reason you have doubts is because you're uncertain. And your uncertainty simply is your inability to know what, where, how, and when. Are you following I'll break this down so you can relate to it. The reason I have doubt is because I don't know what will happen next. The reason I struggle with my with doubt is because I don't know where, when, or how. But Jesus was trying to liberate his disciples from that realm of faith or that realm, better still, where their faith is hanging on their ability to know the details. He was trying to raise their faith to come up higher. Where they didn't, where they didn't need the details to still follow him. Are you following everybody? Because when God doesn't give you the details, guess what he's doing? He's growing your faith. When God doesn't give you the details, he's growing your faith. The disciples in John 14, because it's so crazy, Jesus has been trying to get disciples to understand something for a very long time now. If you go to, I believe, uh, Luke 17, there about, uh, the disciples cried at verse 5, I believe, uh, Master, increase our faith. 
And Jesus was like, no, 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 you're not getting this. If only you will believe and have faith as small as a tiny grain of mustard. You can say to this mountain, to this mulberry tree rather, to be, pl- to be uprooted and to be cast into the sea. And it will obey you. Jesus said that. Because it's, the, the, the disciples were expecting some kind of baptism. Jesus was only saying that your faith grows. Your faith only grows when you, um, what's the word now? You should bring it back. Your faith only grows when you, um, come on, come on, come on. I had the word now. I had the word a minute ago. Uh, okay, let me just say this. Your faith grows when you practice it. Right? When you work by faith and not by sight, the level of your faith starts to grow. Are you following now? And so Jesus was saying, trying to take the disciples from a point where their faith was hanging on the ability to know. That's to see, to know when, where, how, and whatever other W's are there, and what. And I was trying to get their faith to a point where they didn't need to know all of that to still believe. When you don't feel God's presence with you, right? When you don't even know whether or not God is the one who is leading you in this season, that is God's way of leading you. You missed it. I'll say it again. When you don't know or feel as if God is leading you in this season, that is God's way of leading you. Either he's leading you forward or he's leading you back. I said again. When you don't know, because you're looking at me right now like I was thinking Mandarin. When you don't know whether or not God is leading you in this season, that feeling is God's way of leading you to begin with. Because in the absence of the details, he is growing your faith. In the absence of the details, because some of us when we are praying, we just want this, you know, that feeling, goosebumps all over and know that God is here. Oh, the Lord is in this place. You just want to know that, you know, just be certain and all that. But sometimes God will starve you of that feeling. Because he does not want your faith to be standing on the basis of goosebumps. God doesn't want your faith to grow on goosebumps. That's very funny, but it's true. God doesn't want your faith to grow on uploads either. Because some of us, if we don't receive this, we won't be satisfied. We don't think we are doing well because we've not heard applauds and we've, no, no, one, no one is giving us flowers yet. But Christ is trying to get us to a point where we, don't, where we wouldn't need that, right? And still believe that he's supporting us anyway. And so God is trying to get you out of that cycle or bubble of worry to a point or a place of confidence, right? But it all starts with realizing, let me tell you, you are not in control. Say it under your breath, or say it loud, rather better still. Say, I am not in control. Now you can say it louder than that because I want to hear it. I am not in control. Say it one more time, this time around, you're saying it to yourself so you can hear it. Say, I am not in control. If only you would believe what you just said, right? Only then can you realize that God is in control, right? Because when you're not in control, someone is. God is in control when you're not. 
right? But some of us will, and listen to this, everybody. This is the problem some, most of us are having to battle with, because we want to be on top of everything and every on top of every information. Therefore, trying to make ourselves God. Are you following? We are trying to make ourselves God because we are trying to be on top of everything. But only God is on top. Only God is master over all the universe. Only God is the creator. You are the creative. <laughs> you don't get to design a path out of everything. God makes a way. It's not up to you to design a map and give it to God. God is how I want you to do this. This, these are your turning points. I want you to put here. These are the road maps and bumps. No, that's not up to you to decide, baby boy. That's for God to decide on. So you're not God. So resign from trying to be God, and what? Trust God. Because look at the, the action word in this. In my opening text was in John fourteen one. It says, "Just let not your hearts be troubled." You believe in God. Believe in me also. Not me, man. I'm talking about Jesus this time around. Jesus is saying, believe me. And so you're worried because you have doubt. And your doubt is because you don't know. Another way of saying that is that you don't know the details. That's why you have doubt. Because you don't know the details. If only you knew the details. That's what some of us feel. If only I know, then I wouldn't be worried. But Jesus doesn't want you to be worried, even though you don't know. So many times in our lives, even in our family, and we're not, I'm not trying to paint us like we are, we are saints and whatever, but God is taking us even through seasons in our lives where we also don't, didn't, and can't know. Right? God has taken us through several seasons in life where we didn't even know when or how something was going to come. We pray a prayer, and we wouldn't even know the, uh, the means through which God would answer it. Because I remember what a Sunday school teacher told me several years ago. She said, you can tell God what to do, but you cannot tell God how to do it. I, that, that stuck to my heart ever since. You can tell God what you want him to do, but you can't tell him how you want him to do it. You are not the master designer. God is. You are serving God. He is not your servant. Mm -hmm. And so only if you will let go of the whims and, and, and the steering wheel and let God steer this boat, only then can you be freed from this demon called worry. I'd love to close out my sermon um, in this, with this um, verse of scripture. If you have your Bibles, just open it with me and we close here. Philippians chapter 4, um, verse 6 and 7. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He says this, I love it. He says, be anxious for nothing. Because you know, anxiety is a byproduct of worry. When you worry, you get anxious. Mm? Short, short breath. Heart starts to pound faster than it normally does or should. Your heart starts to beat faster. And you can't really feel yourself. And now it feels like you're about to faint. You're anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Look at what he says. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
Now stop there. Because some of us were like, yeah, Pastor Man, I know this verse. I do it. Everything I'm worried about, I pray to God about it. Mm, are you sure? Are you sure you're really praying or you're stylishly complaining? Because some of us, what we call praying is complaining in disguise. We only, we only come to God's front and we are like, you know, we speak in tongues for two seconds and we complain for five. Like, uh, we speak in tongues and we say, Father, I don't know what's happening, God. What is going on, God? What is going on? I can never forget. <laughs> I can never forget it. it. I got so frustrated with my finances and um, I got so frustrated. I wouldn't lie. And um, I, I remember I was literally complaining to God. Right? I call it prayer, but it's just me complaining. I held only a 10 naira in my pocket. It was so bad. It was that bad. So I held up my tenor to heaven. I said, God, what's this? <laughs> God, no, tell me. Explain to me, God. What is this? I'm being serious. God, well, this was not what you promised me. What is this? What is this, God? Tenor? What can, what can this even buy? <laughs> it was so crazy. And I guess God was laughing at me like, from heaven. Like, this is dumb, idiot. Sit down. And I prayed for like hours. <laughs> because, you know, the, one, the prayers in which we complain, we pray for hours. Because in that moment, we feel like we are justified because we were complaining. Right? But that's a lie. Paul says here, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. He doesn't say, let your complaints be made known to heaven. God is not 180 or 112 or your customer care service, what you complain to. Uh-uh. He says, make your requests known to God. God is not customer care. Instead, he would receive your request. That's what he does. He receives your request. And then what does he do? Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses, the translation says, transcends all humans, human understanding, rather, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Are you listening now? Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't say that when you request, God will give you the details. Did you, did you see that? Verse 7 never said, and a full page answer sheet for all the questions you, in life that you have will be given to you. It doesn't say that. Never in this text does it say that. But instead it says God promises something else. Something that is better than details. I know what it is. Peace. Because peace cannot dwell in a worried heart. And worry cannot dwell in a peace-filled heart. And so God is saying he would give you his peace that will guard your hearts and your mind. Because guess what? That's, that's the home and the factory of worry. Your mind. Your mind is the factory of worry. Your mind can put together 10,000 ways to die. You know the show? That 1,000 ways to die show? That was a very stupid show. I don't know who put that show together, but that was a very ugly show that that should have been made because that show was completely diabolical if you think about it like the show will show you a thousand ways you could die and now you're walking on the streets imagining I could die any moment now <laughs> like I, I could just I could just I remember telling someone some years ago after seeing the show I was like you know you know it's, fu- it's funny how we could just die anytime in a car you can die if you're walking on the road you can die a coconut can just fall from a tree and fall on your head and then you die <laughs> and because uh, our mind is the factory of worry and God is not saying he will give you all the details you seek. Instead, he's saying he give you the peace that will keep your hearts guarded. Now, going back to verse 6, I must not, I must not leave this out. Thank you. The Holy Spirit brought it back to my heart. It says, in everything, my prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. He didn't say, and thanksgiving. 
He said, with thanksgiving. Meaning, prayer, supplication, everything has to go with thanksgiving. Because listen to this, everybody. Thanksgiving, but still, gratitude eliminates complaints. The more things you are grateful for, the less things you would complain about. Who believes that? The more stuff you are grateful for, the less things you will be complain you would complain about. The moment you start to, because you know complaining complain can be so can be so bad, it robs you of of every joy that the little was even giving you to begin with. Because now you're complaining about stuff that God is doing in others and He's not doing in your life, and now you're complaining so much and you're not even seeing what God is doing in your life to begin with, and you're you're taking the joy out of what God is doing in your life because you complain about what He's doing in yours. That he, and what he's doing in others rather that he's not doing in your life. Complaining. So crazy. So dangerous. But God says, with thanksgiving. So gratitude counsels, gratitude counsels out. Complaining. A heart that has or experiences and explores gratitude. Grateful for everything. The littlest things even. If you remember that, if you remember that sermon from last year. Start little. The littlest things. A heart that is grateful for the littlest things we'll find less things to be worried about and more things to be grateful for. Let's be on our face, everybody. Always rejoice. Always rejoice. Always rejoice. And that's in Philippians 4, verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. I'm not rejoicing because my faith is, is not buried in the details or my ability to know the details. My faith is founded on the solid rock. That remains unchanging, never failed, and can fail, and won't start today. And my confidence is rock firm, rock solid in Jesus Christ. He's never failed, and he won't start today. And everything he has written and said concerning me will come to pass. Even though he tarries, I will say, wait. Even though he tarries, wait. Because you will see harvest for every good seed that's dropped in the ground. So don't forget what I said. Every frustration beneath it is worry. And beneath every worry is doubt. Let's surrender our hearts right now to heaven. With hands lifted high every, all over his voice. Wherever you're listening. Just take deep breaths right now. And just know that whatever problem you have come here with. In the hand of God or beside God. It's just a tiny, infinitesimal, I don't know, it's a tiny stone it's to the infinitesimal, to an inf inf oh my God, to an infinitesimal, uh, 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 I don't know, value in terms of its size. It's so small and tiny beside our God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask, think, or imagine. So right now, I just want you to surrender whatever you're worried about to God. Because in His hands, every worry is flipped with thanksgiving. He replaces everything you're worried about with peace that transcends every understanding. Meaning you're not even able to explain. That's the crazy thing. You don't even know why you, are. you have so much peace in your heart. But you just know that you've got so much peace. And the Bible says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. 
That means Jesus' peace is so different from the one this world gives. The world gives peace only for a moment. You only watch that video for a moment. For a moment, you feel satisfied. And your urges are gone. But that does not provide the peace that you feel. Instead, it leaves you even more empty. You do the drug. You call the person. You do the thing you normally do. But that doesn't promise fulfillment. Only leaves you more empty than he found you. Because only Christ can give you peace. Only God can give you peace. And right now, Father God, we surrender and we acknowledge the fact, God, that in your hands are all the answers. And what you choose to reveal to us here, like your word says, is for us and our children and our generations after us. But God, whatever you choose not to reveal to us, we, we love you for that even, God. Not just for the things you told us, but even for the things you didn't tell us. For the things you never revealed to us. For questions you never give us answers to. We are grateful for them. Because the absence of details waters the seed of our faith. And we thank you, Father God, for you would use even those gap moments, God, to grow our faith and to increase us on our inside. Thank you, precious Holy Spirit. We know that, God, you are able to do all. And so, God, we come against the spirit of worry. And every person who has been chained down, who has been chained down by every form of worry, will speak deliverance unto their hearts now in the name of Jesus. And now I speak and I command the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding that he would guard your hearts and your minds right now as I speak. And they would feel a peace that they can't explain, a peace they can't define, a peace found in the mystery. That mystic peace that just floods their hearts and takes over and kicks every worry out of the door. This is, this is the prayer that I pray for your children, Father God, that you will fill their hearts with peace and confident hope in you, Jesus. That no matter the storm they are facing, you are in the boat with them. And no storm is powerful than what than that which your word has power over. No storm can shake you or take you out of your place. Even in the storm is where you manifest your greatness. In the storm is where you manifest your power. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, God. We give you praise and glory, Father God. Thank you, God, for every heart that you have just secured with peace that translates and, and transcends and supersedes all human understanding. May your name be praised, O oh God. Thank you for your word. May your name be praised. In Jesus' mighty and wonderful name, we have prayed. Come on, if you're happy for God's word, come on, give God a big hand.